Hello, and welcome to Bedrock, a podcast on Earth's earliest history. I'm your host, Dylan Wilmeth. Episode 19, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. First, I want to thank all you listeners, old and new, for staying tuned in. Last month, the show's audience doubled in size. I honestly can't believe it. Folks have been sending in fan mail, and our Spotify reviews are staying high at 4.9 out of 5 stars. For those who have reviewed, your effort is paying off. If you haven't clicked the stars yet, it really does help the show grow. And speaking of growth... For the past three episodes, we've been slowly looking at the origins of life, brick by brick. We haven't seen the first life yet, but we're getting closer. Last episode, we saw the first and smallest building blocks forming in outer space, bits of carbon and hydrogen assembled by exploding stars. Now these tiny molecules are impressive in the bleak, dark void, but they're not as sophisticated as bacteria, or even the butter in your fridge. We're still a long way off from anything we could call alive. At this point in the story, four billion years ago, We're also a long way off from the infant Earth. But don't panic. There's an easy way to get back. Today, we'll hitch a ride home with some old friends from earlier this season, and just maybe, we'll meet an alien or two along the way. Part 1. Gifts from the Stars Last episode we peered into the depths of space to search for organic molecules, the basic ingredients of life. Some of these molecules are very simple, just one carbon atom stuck to a hydrogen. Some are much more complex, forming daisy chains with long, strange names. But what about the stuff we see every day? The actual building blocks of life. The proteins, carbs, and fats in our bodies and food. Are they floating around space? Mm, Yes and no. The best answer is this. We have found the pieces of proteins, carbs, and fats in space. In episode 17, we learned that complex carbs like bread or pasta can be stripped into smaller sugars. We also split proteins in meat into amino acids, like the infamous tryptophan in turkey meat. We see the same sugars, amino acids, and the building blocks of fat in deep space. You can't make a sandwich out of them, but we're getting there. So, how do we bring these little guys down to Earth? Like everything else in the Hadean chapter, more than four billion years ago, the best delivery service is by Asteroid. Since the beginning of this season, we keep running into a special type of meteorite called carbonaceous chondrite. These chondrites helped build the Earth in episode 4, and Earth's oceans in episode 14. Every time you drink a glass of water, you're drinking meteorite juice. Without the gifts of stone and water, there would be no Earth, no blue planet. But there's one final gift from these meteorites, the most precious of all. It's been staring us in the face this whole time. These rocks are called carbonaceous chondrites. Without them, no carbon. And without carbon, no life as we know it. So what do we see inside? 
when we crack open a carbonaceous chondrite, we find the building blocks of life once again. The same characters bumming around space and our dinner tables. For example, the Murchison meteorite way back from episode 4 has the amino acids glycine and glutamic acid. Don't worry, they're not on the exam, but they are on the menu. Glycine can be used as a sweetener, and glutamic acid gives meat, mushrooms, and soy sauce their savory umami flavor. If you're thinking about licking a meteorite, I wouldn't, though. These ingredients are just barely sprinkled in. But as the Earth was slowly built by trillions of these asteroids, this organic matter, this dusting, started to build up, enough to form all the carbon-rich life we know and love today. It's the same process that built Earth's oceans from tiny crystals of ice, from small things big things grow. To be crystal clear, none of these organic molecules, these sugars and acids, are alive. They were not alive when they were forged in starlight, they weren't alive when they hitched a ride to Earth on asteroids, and they weren't suddenly made alive when they crashed down to our surface. At no point have we mentioned anything about aliens on this show. So, let's talk about aliens. Part 2. The Martian. The story starts like an old science fiction movie. The year is 1984. Madonna has released Like a Virgin, and Apple has just made its first personal computer. The place is the Allen Hills of Antarctica, where a few researchers are walking around in bulky 80s winter coats. This is one of the few spots where naked rock juts out of Antarctica. But the research team here isn't looking for earth rocks, they're looking for meteorites. It turns out, if you find a lonely rock sitting on top of a vast Antarctic glacier with nothing else around, it probably crashed from above. As a side note, the first person to discover meteorites here was Sir Douglas Mawson in 1911, on the same trip where he was stranded alone for months on the ice. To learn more, check out our mini-series episode on Antarctica. Now back to the story. On December 27th, just two days after Christmas, the researchers got a belated present. A lumpy, dark meteorite the size of a bread loaf, weighing two kilos or four pounds. The sample was simply labeled Allen Hills 84001. Unlike most meteorites we've met, this one wasn't a chondrite from the early solar system. It wasn't even an iron-rich meteorite like the ones from episode 5. A quick look at the chemistry screamed that this sample came from somewhere else. Mars. Now, Mars doesn't just decide to spit out rocks in our direction. They're usually kicked out of their planet's orbit by other meteor impacts, like cosmic chip shots on a golf course. Sometimes, these far-flung pieces just happen to crash land on Earth. For example, the Allen Hills meteorite was formed on Mars 4.1 billion years ago, February 8th on the Earth calendar. That's older than any rock found on Earth. But it hasn't been sitting in Antarctica for that long, it just landed here a few thousand years ago. 
for 12 years? That's all that people knew. Until 1996. Madonna has released Don't Cry For Me Argentina. Apple has moved on to laptop computers. And in a NASA laboratory, David McKay is staring at an impossible picture. If what McKay sees is true, this picture would be perhaps the most important one in history. If what he sees is true, he has found the first tangible evidence for life beyond Earth. The picture is black and white and shows what looks like a rough, shadowy, boulder-strewn landscape. In fact, this image is the surface of the meteorite, and the image was taken by a microscope. A human hair would look like a fallen redwood tree. In the very middle of the picture sits a long, thin cylinder, divided by a series of thin rings at regular intervals. For all the world, it looks like a worm a caterpillar with no legs, or a striped pool noodle. To McKay, it looks like bacteria. The noodle isn't moving, it isn't alive, but it could be an ancient Martian fossil. The more McKay looks, the more he sees these tiny noodles. It's not just a fluke. Now, finding bacteria on meteorites is nothing new. The rock has been sitting on Earth for thousands of years, plenty of time for our own life to colonize it. But these noodles were embedded in the meteorite. They were part of it, not simply new growth. Finally, there was one other weird thing about the noodles. They were the same shape as bacteria, but they were much, much smaller. Which is really saying something. A human hair is about 100 microns wide. An average bacteria is only one micron wide. And the tiny Allen Hills noodles were ten times smaller than that. No bacteria that size has ever been found on Earth. The discovery was published in the top scientific journals. The news made international headlines. And even the U.S. President, Bill Clinton, made an announcement to the world. Today, Rock 84001 speaks to us across all those billions of years and millions of miles. It speaks of the possibility of life. If this discovery is confirmed, it will surely be one of the most stunning insights into our universe that science has ever uncovered. Even as it promises answers to some of our oldest questions, it poses still others even more fundamental. We will continue to listen closely to what it has to say. So what happened? Why isn't this the smoking gun for aliens? Why are we still alone in the universe? Clinton was more right than he knew when he said this rock posed more questions than it answered. In short, there are many ways to make tiny noodles that don't require life at all. Minerals and other materials can make shapes that look exactly like bacteria. These shapes are called biomorphs, since they look like living things, but they aren't living. It's like having a wax figure of a celebrity next to the real thing. It's hard to tell the difference sometimes. I can personally sympathize with this problem. The search for alien life is very similar to the search for ancient life. Whenever I find a weird rock, I have to approach it with a very skeptical mindset, testing whether any shape was caused by life or 
a biomorph. To learn more about these fossil imposters, check out my interview with Dr. Jody Royard, a biomorph expert. As of 2023, most scientists do not believe the Allen Hills meteorite contains fossils. I'm not telling you this story to ridicule McKay or his colleagues. Just like the other stories we've seen over the past few episodes, their findings are part of a much larger conversation about what life is, how it started, and where it started. A conversation that goes back to ancient Greece. Part 3. The truth is down here. Before Aristotle, before Plato, before Socrates, there were many other, less well-known Greek philosophers. One of them was Anaxagoras, who lived in Athens around 460 BCE, after Greece had fought off Persia and before it would tear itself apart with war. Like many ancient Greek philosophers, Anaxagoras had some ideas that were well ahead of his time, and others that were very far off. For example, Anaxagoras thought that earthquakes happen by disturbances beneath the earth, which is right, but that the earth itself was flat, which is wrong. Anaxagoras' passion was astronomy. The man was fascinated by space and the chance that life was somewhere out there. He correctly interpreted the patterns on the moon as mountains and valleys. However, he went a little too far and said that, well, if there are mountains, there has to be life up there. Duh. Which we know is not true. While most of his ideas have been proven right or wrong, there is an interesting thought experiment that is still debated more than 2,000 years later. This idea is called panspermia, and it goes something like this. According to Anaxagoras, life first evolved on another world and was carried to Earth a long time ago. He didn't have a specific idea about what carried it, just that it was off somewhere else. Today, modern science fiction stories weave epic tales of alien spaceships bringing life to Earth like seeds for a garden. In real science, there is absolutely no evidence for advanced aliens sowing the ancient Earth. But a slightly more plausible idea has cropped up in the last century, one that might sound a little familiar. Perhaps alien life hitchhiked on asteroids from one world to another, just like the sugars and amino acids we saw earlier. Now, it's one thing for a chemical to hitch a ride on an asteroid, something completely different for a bacteria, but the idea isn't completely out to lunch. Amazingly, Earth bacteria can survive at least three years in outer space. Just add water, and they wake up again. Still, panspermia is much easier said than done. The journey requires life to survive being launched into space, spend many years on the edge of death, then make a boiling supersonic crash landing on Earth. It's a big universe out there with many strange things, but those are still not great odds. If you can't tell, I'm not a huge fan of panspermia. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying we shouldn't think about it. My biggest issue is, panspermia tries to tell us where life started, but not how it started. 
Now think of it like this. If you ask a mechanic how your car was built, how the pieces worked together, and they say, yeah, it was made in Detroit or Japan, what do you want from me? Well, that doesn't answer your question, now does it? In the same way, panspermia just moves the question of the earliest life somewhere else, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. As we've seen, it's hard enough to figure out what Earth was like billions of years ago, and we live here. Imagine how much more difficult it is for a planet light years away. I think our time is better spent learning about our world first. There's one way I think panspermia could win out, if, and only if, we prove that life could not have evolved here first. If there's no way the spark of life was possible in the Hadean, then maybe we can turn to other worlds for support. But to test these ideas, we need to return our gaze to the ancient Earth. Summary. Asteroids delivered the first building blocks of life to the early Earth. The same asteroids that built our world and its oceans. When you crack open an asteroid today, you can still find these tiny organic molecules, the same ones in our own bodies and on our dinner tables. In contrast, we have not found aliens inside or on asteroids, though it is theoretically possible, and many people have tried to find them. Until that day arrives, we are forced to search for life's origins right here, in our own backyard. Next episode, we learn how Earth took its organic gifts from the stars and started turning them into DNA, the code of life itself. Thank you for listening to Bedrock, a part of Bee Giants Media. If you like what you've heard today, please take a second to rate our show wherever you are. Just a simple click of the stars, no words needed unless you feel like it. If just one person rates the show every week or tells a friend, that makes us more visible to other curious folks. It always makes my day, and that one person could be you. You can drop me a line at bedrock.mailbox at gmail.com. See you next time.